I've been told the healthiest way to eat is to eat like our ancestors, the way evolution designed us. But with our modern lifestyles, can this really be the best diet? Today I'm going to learn about nutrition and the paleo diet. I have a representative from the official paleo diet team here to provide all the facts. His name is Trevor Connor. Trevor is a nutrition expert and former pro cyclist who works directly with Dr. Lauren Cordain, the founder of the Paleo Diet. He's going to share the science behind decades of nutrition research and teach us how to get started. We're really lucky to have Trevor on. And the first thing I want to ask Trevor is, what is the Paleo Diet? So I got to give you the really simple explanation because there's a lot of very interesting definitions of the paleo diet out there, but the, the true definition is actually uh, pretty basic. And I apologize, I think my phone just beeped. Um, the idea here is through most of our evolution, uh, we ate particular foods. The last major evolutionary change for humans was about 20,000 years ago. And uh, on a Western diet, about 70% of the food that we eat was not part of our diet uh, until after our last evolutionary change. So our bodies just haven't had time to catch up. So the idea of the paleo diet is to eat the foods or eat as close as we can to the foods that we ate during our evolution and to remove the foods that have been introduced since. So that means really focusing on lean meats, vegetables, fruits, uh, eggs, some nuts. Uh, Nuts tend to be high calories, so we say eat them in moderation. Uh, And in terms of eliminating foods, the, the two that we particularly focus on are eliminating grains and eliminating dairy. The diet we evolved to eat over millions of years was predominantly one of meat, fish, eggs, vegetables, nuts, and fruits. However, over the last hundred years, because of industrialization, our food has changed drastically. We added complex sugars and chemical additives to our diets that we have simply not evolved to consume. Many types of grains, for example, have been linked to a host of problems like leaky gut, autoimmune disorders, and chronic disease. Wheat, in particular, is a common culprit of digestive distress. When they talk about the life expectancy, that is factoring in youth mortality as well. So in ancient times, there was a high degree of death before the age of two. If you actually remove that as a factor, your your primitive humans, I don't particularly like using the term uh, cavemen. I prefer to use hunter-gatherers. They lived just about as long as we do now. When you are talking about age and and mortality, there's actually two things to look at. One is mortality, one is morbidity. So mortality is what's the age of death. Morbidity is what is the age with which you start to see the onset of serious illness. And when you look at our uh, uh, ancient hunter-gatherers or even current hunter-gatherer societies, what you see is as long as they, they live past that critical age of two, uh, mortality tends to be very similar to now. It's a little bit longer now with the medical system. Uh, 
but you see that the age of morbidity was much higher back then. Now we have a situation where people are living into their 70s and their 80s, but the age of morbidity is late 40s, early 50s. You have decades where you're dealing with illness, where back then you lived most of your life pretty healthy. So this belief of you have these cavemen that were dying of old age at 35 and they weren't very healthy is just a complete misinterpretation of the data. For the first time in history, people of all demographics all over the world are likely to live to 60 years of age and beyond. The United Nations calls longevity one of the most significant social transformations of the 21st century. But even though we live longer, we're not living better. According to the World Health Organization, the quality of those lives are compromised because of poor health and loss of autonomy. This is due to the rise of illnesses like heart disease and diabetes. Since 1980, the percentage of people with type 2 diabetes has quadrupled. So how are you supposed to get your health back later in life? This was the focus of a study published in the American Journal of Medicine conducted by researchers from the Medical University of South Carolina. The trial examined nearly 16,000 men and women from 45 to 64 years old over a 10-year period. They tracked whether adopting certain healthy lifestyle changes could still produce a significant benefit. The most common change was to begin eating at least five fruits and vegetables each day. They found these people had a 40% reduction in the risk of death from any cause and a 35% lower chance of having a heart attack or stroke. One of the things that I really learned about uh, doing my thesis and have really been fascinated by and studied a lot since is this whole inflammatory process. Uh, you know, a while ago, if you look 20, 30 years ago when they were talking about heart disease and cancer, they were looking for causes, and you had theories about viral causes, you know, a whole variety of different theories. Certainly with heart disease, cholesterol was, was pegged as a, a major contributor. But what you've really seen emerge in the last 10 years is all of these conditions are preceded by systemic inappropriate inflammation. What I actually find quite fascinating uh, that I really focus on in my thesis is there's a particular immune cell called a TH17 cell. This uh, immune cell is designed to uh, address any sort of bacterial infection. So they tend to reside down around your gut. Generally, your, your gut is pretty good at keeping bacteria from getting into circulation, but sometimes that breaks down. You, you have a hole punched in the, the gut barrier. Sorry, I'm trying to keep this in basic terms. Uh, bacteria invaders come in, and that sets off a Th17 response. Uh, that's an appropriate response. Th17 is very powerful. It's uh, also very damaging to our own bodies. So you want Th17 to come in, take care of the bacterial infection, and then you want Th17 to disappear, basically. Okay. Um, what we are seeing is, and it's amazing the number, the number of studies that are coming out uh, more and more showing cancer is preceded by a, a rise in TH17. Heart disease has an association with TH17. Pretty much every single autoimmune disease has been associated with the, just this constant elevation in, in TH17. 
So you just basically, your body is producing an inappropriate inflammatory response that's damaging, that doesn't downregulate the way it should, and over time, it's causing chronic illness. Inflammation is a cause of allergies, weight gain, and disease. Inflammatory foods include sugar, vegetable oils, refined carbohydrates, processed meats, and excessive alcohol. The inflammation process is actually a protective mechanism in your body. When any of the foods mentioned are consumed, chemicals from the body's white blood cells are released into the bloodstream to protect your body from foreign substances. The inflammatory response from consuming processed meat is so bad, it's been linked as a major cause of colon cancer. To fight inflammation, you can consume anti-inflammatory foods like berries, avocados, and fatty fish. Or you can also drink green tea. It's well known that green tea is one of the healthiest beverages you can drink. Many of its benefits are due to a substance called epigallocatechin 3 gallate Its antioxidant and anti-inflammatory properties safeguard your cells from damage. You know, the fasting I find fascinating. Um, I was asked, the first article I actually ever wrote for Dr. Cordain's website was a, a review of this whole emerging intermittent fasting concept. And I initially went into my research saying, well, this is a ridiculous concept and my article is going to absolutely skewer it. And as I read the research, it, it was amazing how much of the research was quite positive, particularly with its effects on longevity. And by the end of it, uh, I was actually doing it and trying it. The, the fact of the matter is our bodies have multiple different states. When we eat or when we anticipate eating, um, our bodies ent enter into uh, that, that prandial phase where we're trying to deal with, you know, basically food is an insult to the body and we have to figure out how to, how to deal with it, how to break it down, get the nutrients to where they need to be, deal with any inflammatory effects. So it, it, it's quite a stressor. It's a strange way to think of it, but you have to think of eating as actually a bit of a stressor on the body. Hmm. So the body releases insulin and, and, and addresses it. When you are in a fasted state, you don't have that stressor on the body. So the body takes advantage of that time to do a lot of its repair work. That's where you have a lot of autophagy, which is when your, your body goes down, it goes and takes care of dead tissue, clears it out so that you can uh, build new tissue. That's when it does DNA repair. And if you never have much of a fasted state, uh, that phase is, is somewhat ineffective. The, the idea with intermittent fasting is, uh, for what I've read, I mean, they still figure this out, but you need about 15 to 18 hours without eating to really see the, the benefits um, uh, of this fasted state. I, when I do it, um, you know, I'm not extreme. And I caution people against extreme. We, you know, America is the, well, if a little bit's good, a lot's really good. So you're having these people now that are doing three, four, or five-day fasts. And I like to point out, you're no longer fasting. You're starving. Right. And our ancestors never starved unless they didn't have a choice. Uh, they tended to avoid that, and I think we should still avoid that. So I'm big on the... You do the 18 or 24 hour or even like a 36 hour fast, but I wouldn't do more than that. I think at some point it starts to be more damaging than good. 
When you stop eating and begin a fast, your body starts to work for you. Insulin levels drop, which facilitates fat burning. Human growth hormones increase as much as five-fold, which also burns fat and increases muscle. The body induces important cellular repair processes, like removing waste from cells. The entire idea of a fast is to allow the insulin levels to go down far enough and for long enough that we burn off our fat. A growing body of research suggests that the timing of the fast is key. Our metabolism has adapted to be daytime food, nighttime sleep. Researchers from the University of Alabama conducted a study with a small group of obese men. All meals were fit into an early 8-hour period of the day from 7 a.m. to 3 p.m. What they found was after 5 weeks, the group had a dramatically lower insulin level, significantly improved insulin sensitivity, and lower blood pressure. They also had dramatically decreased appetite compared to other fasting times. The ideal paleo diet is in adulthood you, you don't consume dairy. A lot of people lose, so one of the reasons you don't consume dairy anymore is the enzymes that we have to, so, to, to break down the lactose, which is the, the sugar in milk is called lactase. Um, we have epigenetic changes that occur that for most of us, we, we downregulate that lactase. We, we lose the ability to digest the sugars in, in dairy, which is why a lot of people in adulthood find when they consume dairy, they, it, it makes them feel bloated, it makes them gassy, it can make them sick. The other issue with dairy is you hear people talk in the press about how they're giving all these hormones to cattle. The hormones are getting into the, the milk, and, and that's causing all these health issues in people. There's some truth to that, but more of the fact is those hormones always existed in the milk. Milk and other dairy products are the top source of saturated fat in the American diet. About 25% of Americans can't even break down lactose. But it doesn't mean you have to give up on all your dairy. Most people with lactose intolerance can still eat yogurt. The live active cultures, the good bacteria found in yogurt, will help digest lactose for you. You can also have aged cheese. Hard cheeses like extra sharp cheddar, parmesan, and aged gouda have essentially no lactose. Let's, uh, in particular, talk about cheese. Um, there is, is um, a value for every food has what's called a prowl value, which is the, the renal acid load of that particular food. It's basically how acidic is it to your body. And first thing to do is get, a, get the idea out of your head that because, you know, if you eat something that tastes acidic, that is acidic on your body. That's that's not the way it works, um, because everything goes into a giant vat of hydrochloric acid in your gut, which is far more acidic than anything you eat. Uh, so it's what has an impact on the uh, the acid load systemically uh, after it's been after it's been digested. Um, 
cheeses and a lot of dairy foods have, have the highest prow values that we know of. I will say meats also have a high prow value, but they're an order of magnitude lower than, than, than a lot of your dairy products. Uh, vegetables have a negative prow value, which means they're actually going to reduce acidity. So I'll try to give you the quick version. This is actually a very lengthy explanation, but going back to uh, uh, bone health, uh, everybody is very concerned about the, the uh, intake. So basically, you, you, osteoporosis is a result of calcium being leached from the bone. So they say, well, we need to consume more calcium to rebuild bone. There have been many, many, many studies with osteoporotic women where they give them calcium supplements, and it never does a thing. But doctors keep going, well, it's the best thing we can think of, so, so keep taking calcium. What they're not looking at is that intake versus outtake. What you really need to look at is what I was just talking about, is this, this renal acid load. Um, so if you are eating a lot of foods that are acidic and they are lowering the pH of your blood, well, the best source of base in your body is calcium. Basically, when you have an acidic stomach, what do you take? You take Tums. Tums is basically just calcium. Hmm. So it's really bad when your blood gets acidic. So your body, in a normally healthy state, says, I don't mind leaching a little bit of calcium from the bones to get the pH back up in the blood because if the pH gets too low, you're going to die. And that's more important than a little bit of leaching from the bones. It becomes an issue when that's a constant state. What you need to look at is that acid load, is that acid balance. And so I'll quickly finish here. And sorry, I'm jumping over a lot of steps. Like I said, the full explanation is quite complex. But they've now done multiple studies where they have put taken women off of calcium supplements, osteoporotic women, put them on potassium supplements, and they've actually started to regrow bone tissue because potassium, uh, there, there's a balance in your body between sodium and potassium. And when you have more, you, you increase your, your, your uh, potassium consumption, reduce your sodium consumption, that gets the pH back up in your blood. And when they did that with osteoporotic women, they started regrowing bone tissue. Potassium plays a vital role in keeping muscles working properly. Lack of it causes you to feel tired and weak, even if you've been sleeping well. According to NutritionFacts.org, less than 2% of Americans have the recommended intake on a daily basis. And if you eat a lot of processed foods, chances are your body is low on potassium due to the excess salt in your diet. The more sodium you consume, the more potassium your body uses up to maintain balance. Up your potassium intake by consuming more veggies like spinach, broccoli, and carrots. Uh, first, I'm going to talk purely physiologically, purely health. Uh, I, I will stand by this statement that a, a pure vegan diet is not healthy. So, But like I said, it, it gets more complex than that. We were on our way... Uh, on our you know, on our whole evolutionary path, we were on our way to becoming obligate carnivores. So there's a few things that we can only get from animal sources. Uh, vitamin B12, uh, we can't produce it. We can only get it from animal sources. Vitamin B6, even though you can get it from plant sources, the plant source has a puritine ring attached to it that makes it so that we can't use it. So the 
type of B6 that, that you, you that we need generally comes more from animal sources. Likewise, when you look at your uh, omega-3 fatty acids, they're very important to us. Uh, the, the forms that we can use are the DHA and EPA, uh, which you can get those directly from, from animal sources. If you get omega-3s from plant sources, we have to convert them. And our conversion rate is awful. We can only convert about 1%. So it's very, very hard to get enough omega-3 uh, from plant sources to meet our needs. These are just facts. It's a, you know it's unfortunate. I would love to say for humanitarian reasons that that we you know can live live just as healthy or you know that the vegan diet is just as healthy, but it's just not what the evidence shows. I personally have a hard time keeping to a diet, so I asked Trevor what his recommendation was to someone looking to start paleo. controversial here. Uh, there are certain people in the paleo diet community who say you just need to go cold turkey and suffer through the three, four weeks of what they call the paleo flu. Uh, that's not how I did it. It's not how I personally recommend it. Um, I'm just not big on that. Let's be extreme about anything. Uh, and quite often you get people who are big proponents of these various diets who uh, you know, jumped on this because they like to be extreme. Uh, I, I can tell you as a, you know, a past basically professional athlete, you saw the same thing. The people who were extreme tended to actually not last very long. You know, I have a, a lot of friends. I was a cyclist. I have a lot of friends now who are racing the Tour de France. And whenever we talk, I talk with them. It's moderation. It's doing things in a balanced way. And that's how they got to the highest levels. And so I'm, I'm the same thing with that. If I was coaching somebody on switching over to the paleo diet, I would actually take a slower approach to it. And I, I would simply say, let's start by first introducing some good foods into your diet. Start eating a lot more fruits and vegetables. Like go to the supermarket, just buy a lot. And one of the things to start getting used to is you are now going to be buying a lot more fresh food. So find a supermarket you like because this whole idea of going to the supermarket once every three weeks, that's behind you. Uh, you have to... I personally go to the supermarket every three, four days because I'm constantly buying fresh fruit, fresh vegetables. Uh, so that's where I would start. Is just say, get a lot of fresh fruit, a lot of fresh vegetables, pick up some meats. I would talk to them about simple ways to cook it and, and, and push them on the, uh, you don't necessarily need to be cooking every day. You, you can pick like a Sunday night and cook a bunch of this stuff, put some of it in your, your fridge. And then you just have things that you, you can heat up through the week. Start with that and then start eliminating other things. But I also find as people start increasing their fruit vegetable consumption, uh, their their appetite is reduced. They're not hungry all the time. Uh, and it actually starts then becoming very easy to eliminate all these processed and junk foods and, and heavy and grain foods from, from their diet. That wraps up today's show. It really opened my eyes up about nutrition, and now I understand the benefits of paleo. I want to thank Trevor Connor for coming on, and to get more information about Trevor and paleo, go to thepaleodiet.com. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe, leave a review, and until next time, I've been Michael Q, and now I'm going to find something new to learn.